0: I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. It is good to be here in Bastrop today. Uh, I consider it a privilege to be here and have your pastor invite me. He did so about a month or so ago. My name's Stephen Kelly. I came on board about three months ago as the new associational mission strategist for the 71 churches and missions uh, in Northeast and Morehouse. And so I believe we have 17 of those here, 54 down in the, the Monroe area. And so my, my role is to get around, to encourage pastors, to visit with churches, and to organize unified events and ministries and to help collaborate in new things and so that is what I'm here to do. Uh pastored, like uh, was shared earlier, for 13 years in Morgan City. I've served in six different churches over 32 years of pastoral ministry. Just to give you a quick rundown, uh, my first church was out in the country near Macomb, Mississippi. And then my wife and I were church planters in the state of Iowa, in Ottumwa, Iowa, for a couple of years and planted a church that did quite well. I came back to um, Baton Rouge area, I served in Baker for a few years. And then here in this part of the world, uh, I was pastor in the little village of Doyleen. Some of you might know where that is, near Minden. And then after that, we were at First Baptist Church of Manny, Louisiana, by Toledo Bend. And then spent the last 13 down in the Morgan City area at Bayou Vista. And had uh, probably of all my ministries, that was the best of the, the six. And look forward to doing the work here as I work with pastors. Let me tell you why I'm doing this I love pastors. And uh, having been one for a long time, I've gotten to see the ins and the outs just recently removed from that role. And so I want to help pastors. I want to encourage them because do you realize we're in a difficult day? It is a difficult time in the church and in ministry and pastors need to be encouraged. And so I hope to help in that regard. I've gotten to get to many of the ministries in the area and I've gotten to, to see what's going on. Got to visit here with Care and Hope and see what's going on, which is doing quite well here I uh, got to see the Ray of Hope down in, in Monroe, and some new ministries developing at the uh, old Penile Church uh, by the Mill in West Monroe. We've we got some things going, and uh, starting a new book study with pastors here this coming Thursday. I uh, have some things that are on the horizon, looking forward uh, to working together with the churches and with you here in, in Bastrop. Let me tell you a little bit about my family. My wife, Tamalee, uh, married 35 years. Uh, she's with me today. We have three children. Uh, Our son, Andrew's 33. He lives in Baton Rouge. We have uh, our son and his wife, Ariel, and our granddaughter, Trinity, down in New Iberia. Uh, Trinity's two and a half. And then we have our daughter, Sarah. She is 23, and she lives in Pineville, working on her master's at Louisiana Christian University. And she is also the recruiter for North Louisiana for LCU. So if any of you have an interest in going to Louisiana Christian University, formerly Louisiana College, she would be your contact. And so, um, please let me know if you have any interest in that, and I'll get you in touch with her. Take your Bibles today, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 73, and I'll be using uh, the New King James Version this morning. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? We'll be looking at verses 1 through 3 and 13 through 17. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Let's pray. God, it's good to be here in Bastrop. I thank you for this church and its long legacy of ministering in this community. And Father, may the days to come be bright. May the ministry be productive. May people be encouraged. Pray for Brother Richard and his work, Father, here, that uh, you would help him to have clear vision of what you want to do in in this church in the days to come. Help him as he wraps up his doctorate and and that that would end strongly. But, God, we want to see greater days in the town of Bastrop. Father, you know the challenges economically over the years recently. But, God, spiritually, may greater days be ahead. For, God, you can change things. You can change places. We, We thank you you've been moving all over the country and college campuses, it seems, Father, in a a fresh way. And Father, we pray you'll do fresh things even here. Speak to us today through this word in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Just had the privilege um, of getting back from a family vacation on Friday. We had planned it nine months ago, and so even before I knew I was moving to North Louisiana, we had booked this and told our kids a few months back. Look, we're not buying you anything for Christmas this year. We're doing a family vacation. And we had the grandest time. We just went up to Tennessee, up in Pigeon Forge, and all three of our kids, which live separated from each other, and we're separated now in North Louisiana. We were all together with our granddaughter and had a grand old time. So we got to be with them, and what a blessing it was. We came back from there on, on Friday. But we don't have a lot of time together. You know, your kids grow up, and as things happen, they, they move to different places. But let me tell you, the time we had together was special because just a few years ago, we had a, a very dark time in our, in our family. It was uh, June the 6th, 2018. Uh, we were in bed sleeping, the phone rang at 3 in the morning. And my son, Adam, my middle child, is on the other lot's phone. And when the phone rings at uh, 3 in the morning, it's not good. And so the phone rings, and my wife answers the phone, and he says, uh, Mom, Uh, we're at the hospital in Morgan City, Uh, Ariel's in labor, Uh, the baby's going to be born premature. So we go ahead and we get up, we get dressed, and we're not even at the hospital 30 minutes and the baby's born six weeks early, our first grandchild, Elijah. And so uh, we're in the middle of vacation Bible school at Bayou Vista Baptist Church, and our church had the largest VBS on the Gulf Coast. Uh, That was our thing. We'd run 200 kids a day, plus workers, and And so I was a teacher, and we just had a lot going in the church. And so the baby's born at like 4 in the morning. I had to get back for Bible school at 8, and I'm thinking, well, you know, the weekend's coming, going to be able to love on that baby. Even though he was premature, he had no problems at birth, wasn't even on oxygen, 4 pounds, 13 ounces, looked beautiful, had a good color. However, on Friday, we get word that uh, he was in distress. And so uh, they were going to airlift him to Lafayette, to the Women's and Children's Hospital. Not sure what was wrong, but I'm thinking, okay, he's premature. That's all it is. And something's going on. They'll regulate him and, you know, all this will be fine. And then on that Friday afternoon, which would have been uh, June the 8th of 2018, uh, life changed for our whole family when the pediatric cardiologist uh, meets with us and tells us that Elijah has what is called um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome very rare heart condition for children. What that means is even when he was conceived uh, there was an abnormality in his heart and uh, his left ventricle was malformed or not formed. So you have four chambers in your heart and one of them was not working and they would have to go through a series of three open heart surgeries on our grandson over the next three years. The first one would be in about a week. And so they airlifted him again from Lafayette to Children's Hospital in New Orleans. And without getting into all the weeds, um, we spent a total of 76 days in hospitals. He went through open-heart surgery, nearly died six times, and after 76 days, Elijah died. My wife spent almost 90% of the time there. I spent about two-thirds of it trying to pastor. So I'm driving back and forth to to New Orleans, uh, that hour and a half drive, Uh, for weeks at a time. And I tell you, it really does a challenge in your life when you go through something like that. Let me tell you why it's not supposed to happen to you. You ever had something that was not supposed to happen to you? You ever had something that happened in your life and you're thinking, God, I hear about this on the news. I I, I see it in the newspapers. I, I hear about it in the neighborhood, but it's not supposed to happen, Lord. So he dies on a Tuesday, and I do his funeral to a packed church on Friday trying to tell the story of how God works through difficulties. You know when you've pastored that long I was at the, our church then um, right at nine years and it's like they're all watching me. How is the pastor going to handle tragedy in his life? You know he's gotten up in the pulpit for years now and he's told us how to deal with it. How, how is he going to deal with it? You know, so I'm trying to balance the whole time we're going through 76 days of my grandson almost dying, then coming back, and almost dying, and coming back, and them calling us to the hospital, and not knowing, literally meeting in front of the heart surgeon, and him telling us, I do not think he will survive, I saw my son literally run out the room and went and tried to hide in the hospital because it was tearing him apart. And just trying to balance all that and trying to be a pastor. How do you deal with that? Christians, folks, struggle like everybody else. In a sinful world, things do not happen the way you want them to. And here's what I want to tell you you've got to deal with it. And the way you deal with it tells the world around you if this stuff is for real. Because it's Jesus' Lord when things do not turn out the way I want them to. I don't know you today, so I can say this because it's going to be kind of a shotgun approach. Because I imagine in this room today, we got people with various illnesses, financial problems. You have wayward children. Your business may be in trouble. You have a tax bill that you are having trouble paying. You're in depression. Your marriage is on the rocks. You're not happy anymore. And you're saved. Does that happen in the life of believers? That sure does. And the question is is the faith you have in Jesus real when life is hard? We are not defined by how we deal with the wins in life, we're defined by how we handle the losses. The Sunday after my grandson's funeral on Friday, I had to preach. I didn't have time to do a sermon, so on Saturday, I literally went to my office at the church and I thought, I'm not putting a sermon together. I'm just going to do several subjective points about where I'm at in life. And here was the title of my sermon. What would I be doing on this Sunday if I weren't a Christian? How would a non-Christian handle the, the loss of their first grandchild in and out of the hospital, having gone to their funeral? What would I have done? And, and so I, I went through a list of things I would have, had, I would have probably done if I was lost. And for some of that, I said, you know, I would certainly not have been to church on a Sunday if I was lost, because I'd be mad at God. I might be drunk on that first weekend after my grandson dies. I might be mad at everybody around me. But I was preaching that Sunday, I said, you know what, there's a difference in being a Christian when you struggle, and not being a Christian. And so today, I want to deal with this general subject, because this has been a defining part of our lives and our family and we got to celebrate uh, our family this past week in in Pigeon Forge and we've talked about it a bunch even since then it's just so good to have the kids together because I remember all those days when we were in the waiting room at the hospital together waiting on the next doctor report together four years ago and you know after that happened we, we had to go our separate ways life had gone on we were living in different places How do you deal with such things? I want to speak on the subject today, disappointed, discouraged, disconnected. Disappointed, discouraged, and disconnected. I want to look at Psalm 73 today. We read it a moment ago. And we're going to look at the author of this psalm, which is Asaph, which was a chief writer of psalms uh, for the Jews. And he was observing the world around him, and he didn't like what he saw. And so what he did he wrote a song to kind of speak to the fact he did not like what he was seeing around him and as a result of that listen he didn't like what he was seeing within him does that ever happen to you when what's going on around you is so displeasing to your life that you also see emotions and and, and insights and thoughts and feelings within you that you're thinking i shouldn't feel this way. And so let me tell you what I'm going to get at at the end of the message, because I want to say this. There are people in this room today, you never miss church, but you're not happy with God. There are people that are in the house of God that are far from the heart of God. Is that possible? Absolutely. Let me tell you this. I pastored 32 years, six churches. I seldom had trouble in the church with the guy that owned the barroom. I seldom had trouble with the drug dealer in the community. I seldom had trouble with the person that was involved in deep ungodliness. Most of the problems I ever had pastoring were with people who never missed church but were discouraged and disappointed and upset with God. And I have no idea, Brother Richard has not talked to me, but I wouldn't doubt that this church is normal. Is this a normal church? Not sure yet, okay. But you know, if you're a normal church, there are people all over this room. But you don't miss Sundays. But you're distant from God. And so I want to look at that. Now, at the end of the service, if you would say, Brother Steve, you have revealed what I've been wondering about in my own life. And I need to deal with this today because I'm disappointed with God. And I need to tell Him I'm sorry for the way I have treated Him, the way I've treated others because I've had the wrong attitude about the things of life. Let's look at three things today. Number one, disappointment is not optional. Disappointment in your life is not optional. Let me tell you something, and this is worth writing down. Life is disappointment management. Management. Your life is disappointment management. You will be disappointed the rest of your life about something. And I grew up 10 minutes from, well, 15 minutes from downtown New Orleans in Chalmette, Louisiana. Spent all my childhood there. First 25 years of my life were in metropolitan New Orleans. I grew up a New Orleans Saints fan. I understand disappointment. I really do. You know, uh, I was born in 1965, and Saints, the Saints started right around the time I was born, and my dad took me to the Tulane Stadium. The last year they were there, I went to the Superdome the first year it opened. I've seen 20, 25 Saints games over the years, and I can't tell you they won them all. In fact, they lost a lot of them. And so I, I followed the Saints, and man, I just, I'm thinking, next year, next year. So here's what I, do, I really believe. I believe New Orleans Saints fans are better Christians because they're used to dealing with disappointment. And so, you know, when you're used to disappointment, you you can kind of deal with it in other areas of life. I'm just joking. But honestly, life is disappointment management. My my daughter went to school with a girl uh, that graduated with her, and she got a 35 on the ACT. Isn't that pretty good to get a 35? Now, my daughter got a 30, which I'm real proud of that because she went to college for nothing. Makes a daddy happy, right, Daddy, when daughter does that? And so my daughter got a free ride to L.C., and we were excited about it because she did so well in high school. But this girl in her graduating class got a 35, but she was never satisfied with anything but perfection. My daughter would tell me that if she got a 94 on an exam, she would cry. If she got a 95 in an exam, she'd beat herself up because she didn't get the 100. And I remember telling my daughter this, I said, let me tell you, a 94, a 92, a 95. It doesn't really matter in the scheme of things except the A and move on with life. So if you're not careful, you're going to allow imperfection to cause you to get ulcers in your stomach. Deal with disappointment, right? Deal with it. God's called us as Christians to be overcomers. Don't be a victim. Be a victor. And people wonder, how do we deal with things in life as Christians? Well, we're overcomers because of him who loves us. Look back at the psalmist back in verse 1. I read it a minute ago. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's what he's saying. God's good, but I nearly slipped. He's writing a psalm as an observation of the world around him. He's looking at the wickedness. And our world's just as wicked today. And he's saying, God's good. He loves the pure in heart, but I'm I'm not quite so pure because I almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped because I was watching people around me and I saw the boastful and the prosperity of the wicked. Notice a couple of statements there. He says, I almost stumbled. I nearly slipped. Your life will be a result of how you handle the almosts and the nearlies of life. See, he didn't stumble. He didn't slip, but he was so disappointed with what he saw around him that he was letting it get to him. What about you? Are you a discouraged Christian? Do you enter the room... And there's a fog of discouragement all around you. I'll tell you about a guy who was in a previous church I pastored. He never missed church. Brother Richard, I've noticed this. Some of the most discouraged people never miss church. I'm not sure why. I guess they're hoping it will get better. But I think for him it had to do with a sense of guilt or obligation. He was a guy had some money. His wife, they're both retired. Probably some of the wealthiest people in the church I'd pastored at that particular location about 20 years ago. They only had one daughter. She had moved to Georgia with her husband, and so the grandkids weren't growing up with them. I think he had a lot of time on his hands. He he was the guy that fixed every light bulb. He had an electrical background. He fixed every electrical problem. If something was chipped paint, he would paint it. He did everything at the church. You, You didn't even have to ask him. He did that but he had the worst spirit in the church. He did everything for the church, but had the worst spirit in his church, and his wife didn't help. They never missed. And I'm thinking, I wonder what happened to them. They wouldn't let you get close to them, but they never missed church. And there was an aura about them. They were always disappointed in everything. You need to be cautious in your attitude because if you let disappointment take root, we'll get to discouragement in a minute, it becomes you. You become that discouraged person that everyone knows about. When they see him, they, they look at you and they think, yeah, yeah that's that person that's always glum. I did a funeral yesterday in South Louisiana. When we were in Tennessee, I got a call. One of the most active members of our previous church died at 91. One of my favorite people in all the world, Ken Cooper. I did his funeral yesterday morning, and Ken, let me tell you what Ken did. Ken had been on and off sick for a while. He had these little coins he, he bought, and uh, they were kind of golden in color. And On one side, it had the image of Jesus' face and on the back. It had the Lord's Supper. And he was in the hospital a bunch. You know what he did in the hospital? He, he would talk to nurses and phlebotomists and the lady that cleaned the room and the people that brought in his food tray And he would give them a card and a little coin with the face of Jesus on it and give his testimony of how God touched his life. And he would ask if they needed prayer. And people would tell him, I'm supposed to be here serving you. And you're in the hospital and you're telling me about your faith? He told me stories of of talking to to people in the hospital and they would be crying and, and, and just brokenhearted that he would minister to them. It's all about your attitude and how you deal with disappointment. Did he want to be in the hospital? No. But if I'm going to be there, I might as well be useful. What about you? Today, did you walk into First Baptist Church with a a bad attitude? You see, some of you haven't almost stumbled or nearly slipped. You did stumble. And you have slipped. You know, I think back to COVID. I was pastoring all through COVID, and that was a tough time. I had COVID twice, two mild cases of it. Thank God got over it, and you're here today, so you got through COVID. But you know what? I noticed that our church in, in Morgan City it was like everywhere else. You know as we got back, 20, 30, 35 percent weren't there. right? I mean that's just the way it is. And here's what I concluded. It did not have to do with COVID. It had to do with people that were already on the edge spiritually, just needed that last reason to drop out. They had almost slipped. They had nearly stumbled. And when COVID happened and the church closed, that's all they needed to fall off the edge. And so let me congratulate you. You're still in church post-COVID. Hey, Praise God. But maybe today you're nearly slipping too. Disappointment management is the Christian life. Look at the second thing. Discouragement's a choice. Disappointment's a reality. It's coming. But you decide if disappointment... Turns into discouragement. Listen to this. Disappointment is circumstantial, discouragement is a choice. You hear what I'm saying? Disappointment's going to happen. Discouragement is the embedding of disappointment in your spirit such that you become a discouraged person because you've chosen to let disappointment win. When we were serving in the state of Iowa, I had the opportunity to go on a uh, conference. It was a missions conference. They, they flew all these pastors out to Las Vegas. We didn't gamble, I'm just telling you that. They flew us to Las Vegas, and we went to a church growth conference in Vegas. And the, the, the main topic, topic was a book called Total Church Life. It's been decades ago. And I remember reading that book, and I highlighted and starred a section. I have quoted this for years now because it spoke to me And uh, it speaks not only to pastors, brother, but it speaks to everyone in the church. Listen to this. He says, Two responsibilities exist when a preacher becomes discouraged. He can repent or quit. God cannot use a discouraged preacher. When discouragement comes, the preacher is finished. Discouragement is sin, the sin of self-centeredness. When we become discouraged, it means we have gotten our eyes upon ourselves rather than on Jesus. When discouraged, we face three alternatives. Repent of the sin of discouragement, resign and move on, or quit the ministry altogether. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you will never get disappointed or discouraged. I will disagree with disappointment, you'll get disappointed, but discouragement is a choice. And in this room today, there are some of you that have been living in the land of discouragement so long, You've gotten your eyes off of God. You've gotten your eyes off the ministry of the church, and everything is negative. What would happen if everyone in the church would say, I forsake discouragement this morning? Would it help First Baptist Church of Bastrop? It would. Well, Brother Steve, the mill closed down, and it happens. Let me tell you what happened to us in South Louisiana. Our first few years at Bayou Vista were going incredibly well. We baptized 40 people in my first year there. That's a good year. And then the second year we're there, the Deepwater Horizon rig accident happens. Remember that? And the president puts in a moratorium in offshore oil drilling. It was boom time in South Louisiana when we first moved there. Church was doing great. We were running every... We averaged 220 in my first year pastoring there. I mean, it was going well in Catholic country. And then the moratorium happens, and jobs after a year or two start to leave. We lost over 10% of the population in three years because of the moratorium. And so here's what you have to think. Well, wait a minute. The jobs have left because of the oil spill, and... Has God changed? Did the oil spill change God Or did I let the oil spill change my view of God? It's really about me. How do I deal with that? And so here's what I had to decide in my own own spirit, because that took a lot of jobs. We weren't having people move in, they were moving out. I'm a man of God, and He's still God, and I serve the same way regardless of what's going on around me. Because greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world disappointment is a reality it's not optional but discouragement is a choice look at verse 13 of our text surely i have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence for all day long i've been plagued and chastened every morning if i had said i will speak thus behold i would have been untrue to the generation of your children when i thought how to understand this it was too painful me so he is if you read through the whole chapter he's just pondering what he's seen and all the prosperity of wicked people and he's down in the dumps because things aren't going well for him as a follower of god and and he says you know surely i've kept my life pure in vain the world's going to hell around me but they seem to be happy in their trek and i'm serving god and i've cleaned my hands in vain i've been washing my hands and i'm innocent but i'm still struggling and I thought about talking about it. Ooh, I'm going to tell you this. Listen to me. He said, I thought about talking to the next generation. I thought about spreading my discouragement to children. I'm going to speak to our senior adults in this room for a minute. Because I, I'm near, I nearly is one. We're, we're in Pigeon Forge. We're that far from senior adult discounts at 60. Okay, so We're not, not quite. We, can, we get it. I can't, I'm a preacher, I can't lie. Okay, okay. But uh, anyway, so getting close to that, and I'm thinking, senior adults, we need you right now. And we need you encouraged. We need you to be up, not down. We need, we need you to be on top of your spiritual game. Why? Because the next generation doesn't need to look at you and say, if that's what an old mature Christian looks like, I don't want to be that. I saw a poster in a business one day. It said, if you love Jesus, please tell your face. How does your face look? Oh, Brother Steve, it is what it is. Well, your countenance is not your face. Your countenance is your spirit shining out. What comes out of your face? The psalmist is saying, I, "I wanted to talk to the next generation. If I had, you know, it it would have not been good. I'd have been untrue to them. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I, I don't like it at all. I don't like the internal turmoil of my life, brother. I'll tell you a story. My first pastorate. I'm, I'm I'm in the dairy community of near Tylertown, Mississippi." We had cows everywhere. They, they, they had them all over the community. Dairy farms. They had many dairy farmers in our church. And one of my deacons was a banker in the local community, vice president of the bank. Been there his whole life. Him and his wife they had one daughter. And he gave me fits. Critical. His wife was the queen of criticism i mean there were Sundays i'd get up and preach and she would count the number of mispronounced words and tell me about it to which i told her i said well you didn't count the words i got right did you i mean critical so anyway i'm I'm there a couple years before we go to iowa and then um after that we're in baton rouge my phone rings one day and it's this deacon and he says listen um i'm in I'm, i'm pastoring now i said you're pastoring yep he says, I'm still at the bank, but I'm bivocationally pastoring. He's at that time in his 50s. And we're in revival. And the evangelist has said, before revival begins, is there anyone from your past you need to ask forgiveness of? He says, well, there is one person. So he found my phone number. He calls me up and says, Steve, this is Wayne, I want to apologize for the way I treated you when you were the pastor. And here's what I asked him because I recognized what was coming out of this. I said, Wayne... Did you treat me so bad because God had called you in the ministry when you were younger and you ran from it? And when you saw this young preacher preach and you saw what you were supposed to be? He said, yeah. Some of you are angry, upset people that are always negative because you're living in disobedience to God and you need to get it right. Wayne pastored until he got older and retired. I went back for a homecoming Do you know when I went back for homecoming, he apologized again? Because once he pastored, he realized what he had done. He had been eaten up with disobedience and discouragement in his life. What about you? When I think of discouragement, I think of the book of Job. Oddly enough, the day my grandson died, I I was reading through the one-year Bible. I do that every year. My Bible reading, the day... Elijah died was Job 1 and 2 of all places to read. I I literally opened it that morning and I thought, God, I hope that Job's experience is not our experience. It was not an hour later. My wife calls me and says they're calling the family in. I was at a conference somewhere else in the state. Look at what Job's response is to his troubles. You're familiar with this story. In Job 1.20, It says, Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. The right perspective. And he didn't lash out at God. Chapter 2, remember he loses his physical health. He gets boils all over his body. In addition to chapter 1, losing all of his possessions and his children. Verse 9 of Job 2 says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. She was helpful, wasn't she? But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now if you read the rest of Job, you find out he, gets, he struggles with all this, doesn't he? I'll tell you what caused Job to have trouble. It wasn't just his situation. It was his friends. The most, most of Job is a conversation between his friends and himself creating more discouragement. You know what I find with discouraged people? They hang out with discouraged people. And they sit around the table. In fact, in McDonald's all over America, every morning you have a bunch of men trying to fix the world and can't do anything about it. You ever find that? Every McDonald's in America. I don't like the president. Don't matter what party he's in. I don't like the governor. I don't like this. I don't like that. Guys, we need to start liking things more than discouraging things. I also learned this in church. A lot of people go home and have a discouraged attitude. Today, I want to call on you to not allow disappointment and discouragement to determine the tone of your life. Job says this later, Job 13.15, Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. God, no matter what happens, I'm going to trust You and I'm going to try and be the happiest, most purposeful person I can Because I want people to see me as a motivator of good rather than a motivator of negativity. I'm going to throw this out there. Just think about this. And I don't have any idea. Is there anybody in this church that would say, if, if you were to ask, who's the most negative person at first Bastrop, would they call your name? By the way, that's true in every church. If you would asked me as a pastor, brother, I could have told you the most negative person in every church. Is that you? Well, brother, I'm not the most, but I'm close. Oh, wouldn't it be great if everybody would say, God, I want to deal with this. I want to be a light in Bastrop. I want to be positive. I don't want to be one who's allowed the disappointments of life to discourage me so deeply that I become a hindrance. I'm going to say this not to blow my horn, but to say it because it was true. I never got mad at God through my entire grandson's ordeal. I I never did. I dealt with it. I talked to people about it. Um, I remember a good friend of mine, he has eight children and lives near Thibodeau. And his very last child was a miscarry. And we were talking about it. um, It was close to birth time, actually, and the baby died. And God was moving early on in that time with Elijah so that we thought he might make it. And I forget what Bob told me. He said, Bob, Steve, what if he dies? What if he dies? And I had to answer that question. What if he dies? What if things don't go the way I want them to? How are you going to respond to that? What if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to? Are you going to be faithful all the way to the end? I want it to be said about me like it says in 2 Timothy 4, that he fought the good fight. That He finished the course. That He kept the faith. I do not want to be a Christian who drops out at the end. Brother Steve, I'm not dropped out. I'm in church. But what about your spirit? What about your heart? What about your attitude? Let's see the last thing. Repentance is the solution. What do I need to do today? We well, need to repent. Really? Really? I thought you only had to repent of of things you did. Well, No. Let me tell you this. This is just true in life. The older you get, most of your sins are inside of you, not outside of you. You hear what I'm saying? When when you're 20 or or 30, you might do do things outside of you. You might steal. you, You might do drugs. You might do violence. You might commit adultery. When you get older, your body's not up to a lot of sins anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Most of your sins are between your ears you're mad at somebody I'm gonna give you this statement I forget who said it the number one sin in Christianity is bitterness the number one sin is bitterness which is generally unforgiveness is there anyone right now that you need to forgive I did a service years ago when we were south Louisiana and I preached on Forgiveness, and I spoke specifically on forgiving people who are dead. Is there anyone in your life you need to forgive who's dead? Do you need to go to a cemetery and the person that you have been angry with for years, you need to stand at their tombstone and say, John, I forgive you. Dad, I forgive you. Mom, Churches all over America have people inside of them that are not stealing, doing drugs, holding back on their taxes. Not all that kind of stuff. We're not talking about things sending you to jail. We're talking about things that will separate you from the presence of God. You see, listen. Disappointment that's unattended to becomes discouragement. And discouragement that is unattended to, will cause you to disconnect from God. Disconnection is where a lot of Christians find themselves when they allow discouragement to rule. Look at verse 16 of Psalm 73. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then... I understood their end how does the psalmist deal with the confusion in his heart he had to go to God he went into the presence of God God when I'm in your presence I understand the world around me not just coming to the church but getting near God in in his heart when I came near to God I understood this today we're gonna have an invitation in a minute and your pastor's going to be at the front. And some of you need to draw near to God. It says in James, if you draw near to God, He will do what? Draw near to you. But you've got to take the first step. Brother Steve, I'm saved. I can tell you the place. I can tell you the time. I've taught Sunday school. I'm a deacon. I work on the grounds of the church. I fix the things that are broken. I've taught in BBS. But today, God has used these words to help me understand I have been a person who has been operating in discouragement and have a negative attitude. And I need to change. I need to be like Asaph. And I need to enter the presence of God so that I can move forward with life. Remember how Job ended? You don't really think about this unless you look at it in the context of what we're sharing today. You know, Job goes back and forth and then God speaks to him through the last several chapters of the book of Job. And says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I did this and that? And Job was just in silence. Notice the end of Job, Job 42. And this is very important as we come to our conclusion. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. Listen to this. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job says, God, I need to repent of my attitude. Because as far as we know, Job doesn't go out and kill or steal or hurt anybody or cause any criminal activity. He doesn't break the Ten Commandments. He's just mad at God. Are you mad at God today? Are you disappointed with God? It didn't turn out the way you wanted. Brother Steve, I lost a child too. And I never got over it. Let me just put it this way. I will never get over Elijah. But I'm working through it. I think of him all the time. You know, we were thinking on our trip, he would have been with us. We had a pool at the place we stayed, indoor pool. He'd have been beating around in that pool, four and a half. That would have been a whole lot of fun. Thought about him. When I saw his little sister, two and a half, you know, that's a blessing. I can't dwell on that. I can't dwell on that. Let me tell you what helped me. My dad... My dad died at the age of 61. I was 27. He had lung cancer. And uh, my dad was stationed at Barksdale Air Force Base. He was a fireman uh, stationed there working with the bombers. And he was a crew chief over one of the fire crews. And one day he had a call. a plane was on fire. This back in the 50s. And so uh, he gets to the scene. He beats the fire truck to the scene. The brakes went out on the fire truck. And in order to avoid an airplane, uh, the plane... The uh, fire truck swerves and runs over my dad. And these are massive fire trucks at the Air Force Base. Crushed his legs. My dad was crippled from age 27 to 61. Should have died on the tarmac at Barksdale Air Force Base. God spared him. And uh, my dad wasn't even saved when he had the accident. Got saved a few years later. I was born after that. And I watched my dad my entire life. And it just helped me to see a crippled man who never ran a day in my life loved Jesus and he loved me and he wasn't mad about it. You know what bothers me? It bothers me when I see healthy Christians who have money in the bank, who have cars in the driveway, who get around and do stuff but they're not happy. And it's like, give me a break. You live in the greatest nation in the world. You call Jesus Lord, and yet you got a crummy attitude. Today, I'm calling on people in First Bastrop, and again, I'm not picking on anyone because I don't know where you are, but God does. And today, maybe He said, you're going to go to church and you're going to get spanked, but you need it. And today, would you come get your spanking and say you're sorry? Because you've moved from disappointment to discouragement. And you've camped out in discouragement so long that you've become disconnected from God. And just like Job, today is your day to repent of your attitude. Maybe you need to come to your pastor and say, Pastor, I don't know what to say other than this. I repent of my attitude today. Would you pray for me? Maybe you need to come to this altar. Brother Steve, I can't kneel. Maybe you need to stand at the altar. Or oh, brother, if that's not my way, but I'm, God's speaking to me right now, then in a minute, bow your head at your pew and say, God, I am sorry for my attitude because I have let discouragement take root and I have drawn away from you. Today, I draw back to you. I want to have joy in my life again. Life is disappointment management. In this invitation, is your opportunity to deal with it. Would you do that today? Pastor, would you come? Our musicians, I want you to stand. You're not going to sing because you can't do business while you're distracted. I want you to bow your heads. Our musicians will come and play for a minute. But if God has spoken to your heart today, then here's what I want to ask you to do. Your pastor wants to pray with you. Or maybe you just need to say, "I don't, Pastor, I don't need you. I just need to go directly to the Father. Maybe you need to come to this altar and in just for 30 seconds or a minute, say, dear God, He talked to me today. I am sorry. I am like Asaph and I am like Job. I repent of an attitude that has been disappointed that has led me to get disconnected from you. As our musicians play, would you respond right now? Don't wait.